think about is that, you know, we get to, we get to share some pretty sweet fellowship wherever we go. Amen. Around the world, we, we have a fellowship of churches, and if you walk into a room like this, you're going to get some of the same hugs. Yeah. They might speak a different language, but love transcends all languages. Amen. And so it's so good just to be here. I want to say thank you to Glenn and Danielle for just inviting us up to be a part today, to be able to talk about rejoicing. Amen. And, uh, you know, rejoice is a, it's one of those things, I, I understand you're going to be studying this this year. And it's one of those themes, it's like, you can't get behind rejoicing. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if getting excited to be happy is not something you can do, you got to check yourself a little bit right there, you know? The idea that like our theme is just going to be to be fired up about Jesus this year. It's a great theme, you know? And as you think about rejoicing, think about all the incre- incredible things God has already done in your life. So often, what we'll be talking a lot about today is how we can let things cloud out the good things. That there's all these great things God has done, but man, sometimes it's easy to focus on the one thing that you're not happy about right now. And that takes it all away. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But you know, Maria and I, we have two kids. I want to make sure I at least showed you a picture of them. This is them sitting around the Christmas tree this year. That's Hunter and Isabella. And uh, my son's five years old. My daughter's seven. And, uh, and they, they, make, they make me want to rejoice every day. Amen. You know, when you, and I saw there's some new babies in the room, you know. It's funny, as a, as a parent, there's this weird feeling you get. Where you want to rejoice because you're so fired up, they're so awesome. But, but man, all the crying. <laughs> After a while, it can take its toll on you. You know, you're waking up in the middle of the night, feeding your baby. It can take its toll. Yeah. But there's something really special about being a parent and rejoicing over your children. And that's the way that God feels about us. Amen. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, uh, most of what I'll be sharing about today will be about how awesome our God is. Amen. What an amazing God we serve. But the other person I'll be talking a lot about today is my wife. Now, if you don't know, my wife is like a superhero. Yes. I'm going to tell you all about that today. But, you know, we met in the campus ministry in Baltimore. Uh, I was baptized there about 13, a little over 13 years ago now. Uh, she was getting her master's degree there, and we, we were best friends for about three years. And then one day, we fell in love. <laughs> and it was awesome. And we fell in love, and we started to dream about what we could, how we could serve God and his kingdom. And as we prayed, one of the things we really wanted to do is we wanted to go overseas and serve God in a country not our own. We wanted, in fact, the only prayer I had was, God, just let it be somewhere where they speak English. And he sent us to Spain. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes your prayers get answered, but not the way you wanted them to get answered. But, you know, God had a plan. Yeah. And, uh, and we had been praying about this for years, literally eight years we devoted to prayer. We really wanted to go serve God overseas. And the opportunity came, and uh, we got a call from, from uh, uh, Doug Arthur in Boston. He says, you guys still want to go overseas? We said, yeah, we want to go. And he said, okay, well, why don't you come move to Boston for a year, get ready, we'll train you some more, and then we'll send you. And I said, deal. You know, we packed our bags, we moved up to Boston in pursuit of this great dream that we had been praying about for many years. And, uh, and I'll never forget the day we left to Madrid. You know, we, we had 15 bags we packed on the airplane. Most of them was because we had two small children, and like 90% of it was them. <laughs> And so we get to Madrid, and we're going to pursue our dream. 
And we're going to build a life there. We figured the plan was for us to spend five to ten years there to build up the church, to build up leadership, to, to really get the church going in a place to where they could continue to plant churches throughout Europe. And I'll never forget, after spending about a year there, we woke up one morning and my wife woke up complaining that she was having some back pain. She said, I don't know what it is, but I, just, I feel like there's something wrong. And so we went to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you threw out your back. It's no big deal. Just give it a few days, rest. And a few days went by and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, and as we continued to sort of go back, we kept making these trips to the doctor, right? And every time they just kept saying, it's, it's really nothing. It's no big deal. Basically, just stop coming here and just get some rest. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And over the course of a month, it just got so bad. She would, she would wake up in tears. Like, I just don't think I, can, I don't think I can walk today, you know? And there was one particular day she called me. She was just weeping. She said, I can't do this anymore. So I can't walk. It hurts to, I can't do anything without be, feeling pain. So I went over to the doctor. Uh, I, the doctor was right down the road from our house. And so I went to the hospital. I went right to her doctor's office. And in my very best Spanish, I told him, there's something wrong. You have to do something. And he said, okay, bring her in. We'll get an MRI for her tonight. Now, if you know anything about Spain, you, it takes you months to get these types of appointments. And I, and I was like, I was begging this guy, like, we have to figure this out now. And he said, bring her in. We'll give her an MRI tonight. And that night, she got an MRI. And what they found is that her spinal cord had been damaged by a tumor that had grown in her spinal column that we didn't know about. And over the course of this month, it had gotten so bad that she could barely walk. And they said, we've got to do an emergency surgery. We've got to get this thing out. And, you know, we're like, look, it took you guys a month just to get us in here to say maybe there's something really wrong. And so we got on an airplane. We went to Boston. With 30 hours, we were in Boston. And we were there, and we went to a doctor's appointment. And they said, they were right. We've got to do surgery. And they did an emergency surgery. It was nine and a half hours. And they removed this tumor but the spinal cord had already been damaged. And there was, it was just not a lot they could do to, to help her. And so, you know, after this long surgery and a couple days in the hospital, what we, what we found is that Maria had been paralyzed on her right side. She couldn't walk anymore. And it was a really, I mean, hard time. It was one of those times where you, you go, God, really, is this the plan? And as we, as we continued to kind of struggle with what was going on, we thought, well, it's okay. You're going to figure this out. We're going to go back to Madrid. And as the time went on, it became more and more clear that that was not in God's plan. And in that moment, we realized our dreams have been crushed. Our dreams were crushed. You ever been there before? Yeah. You ever feel like, man, this is not the way that we had it planned. We had something else envisioned. And this wasn't it. I'll never forget thinking to myself, God, why, why would you allow us to go through all this just to come back home? And why did this happen to her? Why couldn't this happen to me? I remember asking myself these questions. And I also remember stumbling across the scripture in Romans chapter 8, in verse 28. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, it says this. And we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this was a hard scripture for me to follow because I was, or to, to, to swallow because I realized, God, 
This is, this is not the situation we wanted, but you say clearly you're going to work through this. Yeah. And I realized in that moment that while my plans were not going the way I want them to, God's plans never blow up. Right. That's what the scripture says. The, the scripture says that God's plans, they never blow up. Yeah. Ours do sometimes, but not God's. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul writes this to the church in Philippi while he's sitting in a Roman prison. And he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. You know, what I realized is that there's always a reason to rejoice. You know, Maria couldn't walk. She wasn't able to, to do the things that she could do once before. And I had to figure out a way to rejoice through all this. And it really helped to have a wife like Maria who, who helped us figure this out together. Rejoicing in the Lord. You know, to rejoice in the Lord, this is a really cool picture. This is a picture of Maria about a month after surgery. She just got out of the hospital and she's in a wheelchair. And we're all sitting at the mall. We're getting our, our pictures taken with Santa Claus. And I love this picture because we're totally discombobulated, but she figures out a way to celebrate no matter what's going on in life. And she said, we're going to the mall. We're getting our kids' picture taken with Santa Claus. You know, it's like, okay, you know, let's do this. And I'm pushing her through the, you know, through the mall in a wheelchair. But this is, this is what I believe God is talking about, about finding a way to rejoice amid any circumstance. You know, the idea of rejoicing, it's a big, it's a big thing in the Bible. You know, the, the, the idea is to feel or show great joy, delight, to feel gladness, to feel blessed and to celebrate. How big is this topic in the Bible? Well, let me enlighten you. The word rejoice appears in the Bible 154 times. Joy, the word joy appears in the Bible 242 times. Delight, 105 times. Glad, 108 times. Blessed, 217 times. Happy, 20 times. Celebrate, 68 times. God wants us to live lives that are always rejoicing. In fact, he even commands it. And the question we have to answer for ourselves, the question I have to answer for myself is, how do you rejoice when you don't feel like rejoicing? How, how do you get there? Well, when you just wake up and you just feel like, this is not what I want. You ever been there? You ever been there and you just feel like, this, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. And learning to rejoice in those moments is when you, when you really mature in your walk with God. Yeah. I believe the answer to how is really found in the answer of why we rejoice. You know, I, I, was, I was just talking about this picture. One of the things that Maria did, she'll share about this later on in her class. But every single day when she was in the hospital, she was in the hospital for a month, re- relearning how to walk. This, is, this was just all rehab. And as she, she was learning how to walk again, she would wake up in the morning and we would, the kids and I would drive down to the hospital and sort of spend a few hours each day with her. And she, we'd walk in and she was, you know, she was smiling. I was like, how do you smile? I'm like, I'm a mess, you know? I'm like barely getting into the hospital with these two kids and we're just trying to figure out we're staying with, with people in their basement. Uh, all of our stuff's back in Madrid still. We, we're trying to figure out life right now. And she's just smiling. I'm like, what are you smiling about? She's like, oh, you wouldn't believe the most beautiful sunrise this morning. She said, I just sat there and read my Bible as the sun came up this morning. I was like, okay, you know. 
you clearly aren't me. You know, that we live on very different worlds right here. But learning to rejoice when you don't feel like rejoicing. I think there's three reasons why we can always rejoice. Reason number one. This is really deep and obvious stuff right here, guys. You can always rejoice because God always loves you. Think about that for a second. There's never a time, no matter what you're going through, where God says, I love you less. There's, ne- there's never a time when God says, I don't love you right now. It's the one constant. No matter what's going on in life, what hills, what mountains, what valleys you're going through, God says, I love you. I care about you. And I can, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think I think about this enough. And that's one of the lessons I've kind of had to figure out. Is I just got to think about the fact that, you know, God is my dad. And just like I'm a dad, I love my kids no matter what they're going through. And I always want to help them. And that's the way God feels about me. You know, Psalm 31 in verse 7, you got to get your Bibles ready here because we're going to be flipping through some scriptures today. In Psalm 31, verse 7, this is one of those scriptures that kind of teaches me to, to understand it here, but to get it here. The Bible says this, Psalm 31, verse 7, I will be glad and rejoice in what? In your love. For you saw my afflictions and you knew the anguish of my soul. So what the psalmist is saying, he says, God, you see me. You see everything that's going on in my life. You see the good, you see the bad, and you see the ugly. And you see it all. And and what I've got to focus on is I've got to rejoice in the fact that you love me. You know, as you read the psalms, so many psalms start out kind of ugly. So many of the Psalms start out, David's like mad. He's upset. But then they all end the same way. It's David is rejoicing in his relationship with God. He can start out bitter and angry, but eventually he realizes, no, no, my perspective is off. I just need, I need to, I need to focus on who God is. The fact that he loves me. I love that. That, that just, that says something about our prayer lives, right? That, that sometimes we need to really go deep with God in our prayer life to get the perspective that we need to have. We can rejoice in God's love even in the worst times. You know, the reason why is because God, his love is constant and never changes. You know, you think about that. Nothing else in life is really guaranteed. I mean, what else do you have besides your relationship with God right now that is guaranteed tomorrow? What do you have? Even your most prized possessions, your family, they're not guaranteed. I know we don't like to think about that very much, but they're not. Your health, I can, I, let me just tell you something. Your health will not get better once you get past middle age. You sort of peak and then, you know, nature takes over, right? Your health is not guaranteed. Your job or your career. It's not guaranteed. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You know, I read an article this week. Without any notice at all, they just chose. Sam's Club closed 63 stores nationwide. No notice. These guys show up to work. They thought they were going to, you know, collect their paycheck. And they said, "Uh, it's not you, it's me. You know, and they just closed the stores. 
Your homes, they're not guaranteed. Your cars, obviously, not guaranteed. Your possessions, your reputation, it's not guaranteed. Not your family members, not even the love of your life. You just never know when you can lose things. The one thing that is guaranteed is the love that God shares for you. And so if it's the one thing that we know is constant, why wouldn't we take some time to really think about that and let that sort of sink on in? Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, verse 13 says this. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people. And he will have compassion on his afflicted ones. You think about that. When, when, when you're going through a tough time, you know what God's looking to do? He's looking to have compassion on you. God looks at afflicted people and he says, I'm, I'm, you're the perfect candidates for my love. See, people who think they've got it all together, people who think that their life is just, you know, they built this awesome life for themselves and, and they take pride in that thing, God says, well, you know, you're never going to see it. You're never going to see how much I love you. It's usually when people start to really go through something that they start really searching. They start realizing. In 1 John chapter 4, this is... This is how God defines his love for us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love from God. So we got to be careful because sometimes we want to define love from God as God taking care of us in all these ways that we really want. God, if you love me, then fill in the blank. You know, or when we start going through a hard time, we go, man, God must not love me. He's allowing me to go through something hard and, you know, God must not love me if that's the case. But that's not the way love is described in the Bible. The way that love is described is that God says, no, I I proved my love when I sent Jesus for you. He's already shown his love for you. And and Romans says, if he did that, what will will he stop at? He'll stop at nothing to show you that love. You know, there was a time for me, if I'm just being honest, there was a time when I started to question love, God's love for me. Through all this, this experience. There was a time when I started to get bitter. You know, not just seeing my wife going through what she was going through, but just seeing the fallout that it had on the rest of everything else going on in our life. And uh, there was one particular time, you know, when Maria, after she had surgery, uh, she couldn't work. She, she actually just went back to work January 1st. So I'm really fired up about that right now. Um, but she's been two years without working. And for a little while there, after she got surgery, she, we had insurance that covered us for disability. And so she would collect a disability check, which was helping us kind of get by because she couldn't work. 
And that went well, but one day, out of the blue, the insurance company called us. I won't even tell you their name. I already put Sam's Club out there, but we shouldn't put the insurance company out there. But they called us about six-ish months in after our surgery and said, uh, active immediately, we've decided she's healthy enough to go back to work. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, did you like have a conversation with my wife about this? You know, like, did she tell you this? Because I don't think she did, you know. No, we, we have our people, you know, and we've decided that you don't need any more money from us. I'm like, well, that's awfully convenient of you. And, and I started to struggle. I was like, man, the one thing as a man that, that I feel like I should be able to do is provide. And as we're going through this, I just feel like Satan got a piece of my heart. And, and I started to get bitter with God. And I remember, you know, I was, I was, I was wrestling. I was struggling. I was like, I got to find a second job. I got to figure this out. And I started driving for Lyft at night. What I would do is on, on, on at night, uh, you know, the good thing about Boston is there's a huge party scene with lots of drunk people. And uh, that's not a good thing, by the way. You're like, wait a second. That's actually a terrible thing. But if you're a Lyft driver, it's a good thing. And, uh, and so I just, I was like, I'll go start driving. And so I would drive from about 10 at night until about three in the morning. And I, I was doing this to make some extra money. And, and as I was doing this, I put about a month in and I was like, it's still not enough. And I was exhausted. I was so tired. I would come home. I would hit my bed. The next day, my kids are like, come on, dad, let's play. And I was like, go play with somebody else. You know, like, I just don't, I don't have it in me right here, you know? And so, and this, after a while, I started to take a toll and I just, I started getting bitter and more bitter and more bitter. And I was just getting angry at God. And I was feeling like, God, you don't love me. Because if you love me, you wouldn't let me go through this. You ever been there before? And I remember one night, my friend Ray called me. He's from Baltimore. He baptized me. He's one of my best friends. He called me and he said, hey, you've been on my heart. I know you guys are going through a tough time. And, and we, were, we were short that month to pay our bills $1,000. I was trying to figure out, how, how can I make 1000 extra dollars this month? And out of the blue, he calls me and says, I know you guys are going through a tough time financially. Check your square account, cash account. I opened up my square cash account and he'd given me $1,000. And immediately I had this feeling of, because I was literally on the way home praying to God, telling him how angry I was with him. That, that's what I was praying about. And then I get home, it's midnight, and Ray sends me this text. I, was, I, was, I just felt so, I felt like I betrayed the Lord. Like, how, how can I question you? And even if he didn't do that, how can I question you? Right. You know, he's using his, his disciples, his children, to encourage other, other children. This is what God does. Amen. The next month came, guess how short I was going to be? I was realizing we we're sort of just plugging holes to let other holes start draining. You know, we're, we're putting band-aids on bullet holes here. I was $1,000 short again the next month, and I was just praying. But, but now I've gotten a little bit more faith since the last month, you know? And I was like, God, you did it last month, you know? Let's see if you can come through again. I'm driving for a lift. It's late at night. I'm praying to God. And I'm not kidding. I checked my mail one night after I get home from driving from Lyft at like 2 in the morning because I didn't get it before I left. And I open it up, and there's a check for $1,000. 
from disciples we barely knew. From a totally different church, we ba- they just heard about what was going on from somebody. I was like, oh my goodness. And I came and I woke Marie up. I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I just got to tell you this really quick. We're going to make our bills again this month, you know. And the next month, guess how short I was. There's a, there's a, a pattern here. Anonymous Christians, three of them. One gave us $500 in gift cards for, for food. Another one gave us, uh, another two just gave us some cash anonymously. We don't even know who they were. $1,000. Now the next month, I'm starting to think ahead. I'm going, okay, there's a pattern here, God. And I, I feel like this is probably irresponsible at this point just to like keep letting this happen. <laughs> so I call, I call the church office and I said, is there any way I can take a, uh, well, what's the word? Uh, what I heard. Oh, there's too many people at once. A pay advance, whatever it is. I said, can I get an advance in my pay for $3,000 that I can pay back later at a later date? And they said, sure, we'll take care of that for you. But I felt bad about this. I was like, I, you know, this is just, I feel irresponsible about this. So I go, I take care of all this. And then Mike Van Auken, who leads the region, said, hey, can you come over to my house? And I said, sure, I'll come over. And he said, hey, I, I can't tell you who gave me this. But it's an anonymous gift. And he gave me a check, or gave me a, a you know, gave me an envelope. And there was $3,000 in the envelope. It was nuts. You know, God didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to do any of those things. And he might not, again. But what I learned through all this is that God has never taken his eye off of me. And he never takes his eye off of you either. And when you go through a hard time, sometimes he'll let you get to the very brink. Yeah. When you feel like you're about to lose your mind. Yeah. And he says, just stay faithful. Yeah. Stay faithful and I'll take care of you. I'm grateful my wife is back in the ministry. We're no longer $1,000 behind each month. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, okay. it's not right for me on one hand to say, I love God. And he loves me because he sent his son for me. And on the other hand, say he must not love me enough because he's not taking care of me. That's not right. And I realize that that I can't have it both ways. Either he loves me or he doesn't. How how would you like to be in a relationship with that where somebody's constantly questioning your love for them? Imagine being in a marriage where constantly your wife or your husband saying, I don't really think you love me. That's not right. And it's not right with me and God either. And for me to question whether or not he loves me, that's, that's just stupid. And I learned that through this time. God loves you. That's one reason why you can always rejoice. The second reason that God forgives. You know what? If, if I've learned anything over the last, not just two years of my life, over the last 13 or 14 years of my life, is that I'm a really wretched dude and God just keeps on forgiving me. God always forgives. You know, Psalm 13 verse 5 says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Do you rejoice in the fact that you're saved? Do you rejoice in the fact that you are forgiven? Is forgiveness special to you? Do you think about that? Like, yeah, you know, sometimes, think about when you have to forgive somebody and how hard that can be sometimes. Think about that. When somebody sins against you, it can be hard to forgive. 
Sometimes, you know, when, when Jesus told the disciples, you need to forgive even uh, 70 times, 70 or seven, seven times, 70 times a day. And what do they say? Increase our faith. It's hard to forgive. And yet God, he's just in the business of forgiving us every day. I know you sinned against me, but I love you. I'm going to keep forgiving you. I'm going to keep forgiving you. I'm going to keep forgiving you. This is what God does. And if people question this, just read, open up the scriptures and start reading about what the life of Jesus. Because he's going around, he's finding the most sinful people in any given town. Ooh, a prostitute, nobody else likes her, let me forgive this woman. He finds the most sinful people in any given town and says, I'm going to forgive her of her sins. I'm going to forgive him of his sins. God loves forgiving us of sin. We got to stay connected. Isaiah verse 25, chapter 25, verse 9 says this. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. And we trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Sometimes we look for other reasons to rejoice, but the most important reasons to rejoice are right here in front of us. Everything you've done has been forgiven. You know, when, when you were baptized, my guess is you were fired up to get forgiven, weren't you? Think about the day of your baptism. You were about to get all your sins wiped away. You were fired up about that. Has that changed now? Has God stopped forgiving you now? Is the forgiveness that God offers less meaningful to you now? I, I don't think we're any less forgiven. And I can tell you confidently that on the day of my baptism, no life circumstance was going to change the gratitude I had for God forgiving me. Amen. And so the question I have to ask myself when I don't feel this is, well, what's changed, Cash? What's changed? You know, the last couple of years has not been the easiest for the McCarg family. And there have been times where I've felt very discouraged. But overall, I can tell you that I've learned to re rejoice and celebrate through it all. And this is the reason why. It wasn't because all of a sudden our life was turned around and everything was going well. It was simply because I knew that at the end of the day, no matter what happened, I was going to be forgiven. Amen. God would accept me. Yeah. Let me say a couple other things about forgiveness. You know, sometimes people have a hard time feeling forgiven. Yeah. I actually noticed with a lot of disciples, people have sort of overactive consciences. And you know you're forgiven here, but sometimes you don't always feel it right here. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and, and sometimes, you, you, and what I want to tell you is that you can grow in that. Right. I've seen people grow. I've seen people who just are constantly over, have overactive consciences, and they just feel like, I'm never going to feel forgiven. You can grow in this. Man. I've seen people get to a place where they just go, man, it's, it's really, it's, it's the idea of God's grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. And you got to believe that. But you know, the other reason why people don't always feel forgiven is because they don't deal with their sin appropriately. You, you hide sin. And let me just tell you, you're not going to feel like rejoicing if you're hiding sin in your life. You can't. If, you're, if there's sin in your life that you've not confessed to God, that you've not confessed to others, that you've not repented of, there's no way you're going to feel like rejoicing. You know, Acts 3.17 says... Repent then and turn to God so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Right. So if you're not feeling refreshed, you should ask yourself that question. Well, am I really repenting? Have I really changed? Have I really dealt with sin 
appropriately. You know, Psalm 51, listen to how David dealt with his sin. If you're familiar with this story, right? David, who, who is Israel's king, he's the, he's the most amazing king they've ever had. And one day he falls into a great sin and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And worse, has Bathsheba's husband killed to cover it up. But when he, when he repents, this is what he says in verse Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? Your unfailing love. According to what? Your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in the sight, in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I love what David does here. He just comes clean. He comes clean with God. He says, look, you know me. You know everything about me, God. Why would I ever hide this from you any longer? And he says, when you, when you forgive me, God, you're going to make me whiter than snow. You know, this is the way that you deal with sin appropriately in your life. But if you're hiding sin, 2018 will be no different than 2017. Yep. So don't, don't, don't do it any longer. Today, let it be today, be, be the, the new beginning of just confessing sin in your life. If you haven't done this in a while, grab a friend and say, I'm not waiting any longer. I want you to know what's going on. And thirdly... The reason why we can always rejoice is that we have a hope in heaven. You know, Glenn hit on this. In fact, jacked one of my scriptures. Well, that's okay. It means the Holy Spirit's working. It says, you know, in Luke 10, however, do not rejoice in the spirits when the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That you have a hope that nobody else has unless they're disciples of Jesus. Think about it. If you're not a Christian, what, what's your best hope? Your best hope is that you get a really good job so you can retire. Your best hope is that you have some grandkids before you die. I mean, not that these things are bad things. I'm not, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade here. I'm just, I'm just saying like, that's it. God says, I got a better idea. I've got a retirement plan for you that far outweighs anything else you could imagine. And, and I've got a place where you'll get to enjoy those grandkids for eternity. This is the hope that awaits us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. In verse 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us 
And he set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is cool. He says the Holy Spirit is a seal of your salvation. It seals your hope. You know, a seal in this day, when, when, a, when a cargo ship would come in, there would be seals on all these different boxes. And when, the king, when there was a king's seal on a, on, a car, on a piece of cargo, you know what that told other people? You better not mess with this one. This is the king's. And they would deliver it. And if that seal had been broken, they knew somebody had been messing with the king's cargo. You know, this seal today is sort of like a signature. Let me ask you a question. What is this? This is the baseball, right? How, how much is this baseball, you think? What do you think it's worth? Huh? Ten bucks? Now, this one's pretty dirty, but yeah, maybe at the high end, ten bucks probably. You could buy a baseball for between about two and five dollars. Let's say $2.50 you can buy baseball. Oh, this is... My next slide isn't in there. Didn't come through, huh? Oh. That's a bummer. All right, so imagine Babe Ruth's signatures on this baseball. Okay? Do you know how much that baseball's worth if it has Babe Ruth's original signature on it? In 2014, a baseball just like this one with Babe Ruth's signature sold to an 11-year-old boy, mind you, no. for $250,000. A baseball. And the only difference is it had Babe Ruth's signature on it. The value of that baseball. Well, think about it. Who are you without God's signature, without God's seal of approval? You're... you're you're, you're not much. But because you have God's signature on you, you're priceless. God has signed you. You, you are invaluable to God. And God is not going to just take Babe Ruth. You don't take that Babe Ruth baseball and go throw a play catch with it. No, the 11-year-old boy probably also has his daddy's mansion that has a room with a trophy room where that bad boy sits right there in the middle and you protect, there it is. That's the baseball. That base, it's even faded a little bit. Quarter of a million dollars. You know, God values you. He's not going to throw your hope away. That's not the God that we serve. God cares about you. And the reason why you can always rejoice, no matter what you're going through, even if you've got a tumor in your spine, if you've lost somebody close to you, if, if there's terrible things happening, if you've lost your job, you know the truth is, none of that will change your eternity. None of it. And you've got to think about that. That's the God that you serve. So in conclusion, you know, I remember at about the 10, 10 month mark of Maria's recovery, she went from being in a wheelchair to learning how to walk with a walker to eventually using a cane. And, this, and honestly, by the time she got to that point, we kind of felt like this is probably about as good as it's going to get right here. Doctors were sort of encouraging, but not always. And there was a woman. Her name is Karen Kalerik. She's part of the metro region. She's 61 years old. 
And she's a triathlete. And she came to our house and she said, Maria, I'd like to take over your training. And she, and Maria said, oh, okay. She said, because I'm going to help you get well. And so she took her to a lake called Walden Pond. And she said, we're going to start swimming. And, we're, and eventually you're going to make it all the way across this lake and you're going to make it all the way back. And we laughed first. But when Maria got in the water, she started swimming and she could just barely swim. This, is what, this was day one. And she swam a little ways. And when she got done swimming, she was feeling exhausted. But Karen is like going nuts. You know, she's like, it's a celebration. And Maria would do this week in and week out with her. And every time she would go a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And every time Karen would celebrate with her. And Maria was just barely making it back to shore. You know, she's like, she's exhausted, you know. And, but Karen was like her best, you know, cheerleader. Celebrating, rejoicing with Maria. And I'll never forget, as Maria picked up, she came home, she said, I swam a quarter of a mile today. Now, I just want to let you know that I've never had a spinal tumor. And if I tried to swim a quarter of a mile, you would find me in the bottom of the lake. Okay? I can't do that. And she came home another time. She says, you'll never believe it. I made it halfway across the lake today. I swam a half a mile today. Within three quarters. And I remember at the end of the summer, she said, I'm going to try to go the whole way. And so the kids and I, we went there. We had a cowbell. You know, we went there. We're cheering for her. She starts swimming across the lake. And, and she makes it all the way across the lake, and now she's got to swim home. And we're cheering for her from shore, and people are starting to gather around. We're strangers. And they're going, what's going on? You know, and I was like, shh, I'll tell you later. You know, just cheer. You know, we're cheering, and, and she swims, and she makes it all the way back, and we're so excited, and I'm running, I run into the water, and I give her a big hug, and all these people are going, what's going on? And Karen comes out, and she starts telling all these people. She said, you know, a year ago, she couldn't even walk. She couldn't even walk. And she said, you know, and, and here we stand today. And she swam and, and she's, no, she threw the cane away months ago now. And she's, you know, she's a different person. But, you know, at times, there were times during all that that it was hard. There was, there was times when Maria would swim across the lake and she couldn't make it back. And Karen would literally put the tow rope over her shoulder and she would drag, she would swim and tow Maria across the lake. And that's... <laughs> That's kind of like our Christian life. You know, the life we live as Christians, it's like a marathon. And if you don't learn to celebrate the victories along the way, you're going to be miserable. And God doesn't want miserable Christians. You got to learn to celebrate those victories. And sometimes you got to let somebody tell you for a while. But when you make it back to shore, and I'm not talking about Walden Pond shore. You're going to stand before God and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Let us always rejoice in our relationships with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, that's a picture of her right there. That's Walden Pond.
What song are we singing? Take the Lord. You got me. guys.